This edition of How To Be A CEO is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharmadine Reed, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June 2024. Good luck. It's probably a bit unfair to describe a former CEO of Barclays as an ex-bank manager, but it's sort of true and leads to interesting questions about what it's like going from running a bank to running a business. I was always keen to have a a legitimate second career as an entrepreneur. I really wanted to do that. But I was also very cognizant that there were many things that are similar and many things that are different. Anthony Jenkins is the CEO and founder of 10X Future Technologies, a tech company created in 2016 with an ambition to build better banks. Their cloud-based supercore platform promises to help institutions understand their customers better and reduce costs. It launched in a tumultuous period for the industry where technology is forcing rapid change and tech companies are taking a serious interest. If you remember a few years back, People were talking about, will Apple become a bank or will Meta become a bank? And those firms have astutely decided that they don't need to be banks. But what they can do is they can sit between the customer and the bank and take a toll. And if you think about an Apple Pay or a Google Pay, that's exactly how it works. I'm David Marsden from The Standard. In this conversation, we're going to be talking about big tech and those neobanks that are piling pressure on the traditional ones. We'll also find out more about 10X, which Anthony launched with his own money and get his advice for ambitious startups. But the first thing I want to know is, what's wrong with banking right now? Yeah, I think um, you know, banks play an incredibly important role in society uh, and uh, an incredibly important role in supporting the economy. Uh, But I think we'd all agree that um, if you're an individual or a business, uh, the level of service you receive from your banks has historically not been as good as it could be. And if you look at the data on how customers regard banks in general, uh, for most of the big ones, they're basically seen as a necessary evil. Uh, So one of my sort of career themes has been how do we make banks more customer focused i always say you know nobody wants to get a mortgage everybody wants to buy a house so if banks can make the process of getting a mortgage easier then that's going to be good for everybody how much has that been down to historically there really not being much to challenge banks themselves they effectively controlled the market And that's not really the case or hasn't been the case for a while now, is it? I think it's a combination of things. Firstly, banks have traditionally been very focused on selling product uh, as opposed to recognizing they're actually serving a customer need. I think secondly, um, banks were slow to deploy new technologies. Uh, Web came along in the early 2000s and then mobile and, of course, the adoption of mobile combined with things like faster payments has made customers' lives materially easier for most, not for everybody, but for most. 
And so over time, you know, banks have engaged more with their customers around these types of issues. But for me, it's always been about focus, because I believe that if you could give the customer a better service, you'd win more business from them. You've been a CEO in a major historic bank, Barclays. Was it hard to change things inside the system? It's massively hard to change any organization of any size, uh, particularly a very large bank that had at the time 130,000 people working in it. And indeed, when I worked in America at Citigroup, it was the same thing too. But all businesses have to evolve. Uh, we can think about other categories where there's been really tectonic change. If you think about retailing, travel, the media, uh, the whole growth in social media, these things have really changed our lives. Financial services has moved much more slowly traditionally, in part because, of course, financial services is a highly regulated capital intensive industry. So banks have, in a sense, had a degree of protection, a luxury to move at a slower pace. But I was always worried that that protection wasn't going to last forever. And in fact, we've seen now not only the incursion of fintechs into the businesses of the big banks, and this is a global phenomenon, not a UK one exclusively, but we've also seen the big techs getting into financial services, whether that's uh, offering financing at the point of sale, things like Apple Pay or Google Pay. And so the pressure on the banks is intensifying all the time. At the same time as the problem we solve in 10x, the core technologies is aging and needs to be replaced. And so for banks now, they have this both strategic challenge and opportunity. The challenge is to meet their customer needs in an ever-increasing market with very old technology, but the opportunity is to replace that technology with leading-edge technology like ours and thus massively improve their competitive position. Yeah, I was wanting to ask you about the, the foundation of, of 10X, which you did, I believe, with your own money. So that's a bit of a risk, isn't it, Anthony? But what was the kind of the main driving force? You went, okay, well, I want to set this up. Here's what our priority is going to be. Here's how we're going to make a difference in this market because it's a pretty competitive market. Well, honestly, having spent a lot of time in the banking industry and grappling with these demands on us to continuously improve how we deliver to the customer, implement new technology, but at the same time, really improve the economics of the business because banks struggle still today with challenges around return on equity. I believed that there should be the opportunity to massively automate the bank through the deployment of modern technology. At the time in Barclays, we had 130,000 people. This is going back over 10 years now. And fully 70,000 of them were doing something connected with operations and technology. And when I looked at what those people were doing, they were basically taking data out of one very old system and put it into another very old system. It's very semi-automated. For your for older listeners, um, those of you who remember the, the British car industry in the 70s, um, my dad had a series of British Leyland cars and they sort of came off the production line and they were rusting on day one and bits would fall off them and so on. And it's the same thing in manufacturing, semi-automated process, which now, of course, has been massively automated. And I believe the same thing had to happen in financial services. 
But in 2012, 13, we went around the world and looked for the technology that would allow us to do this as a bank, and I couldn't find it. So when I left Barclays, I thought, well, there's definitely a need there. The technology doesn't exist, so let's go out and build it. Was it easy to build it, though? Or did you, yeah. when you come into it, you go, oh, well, there might be a reason why this doesn't exist? Not at all. It's massively difficult to build technology. And uh, my hat's off to anybody who starts a business of any size or complexity, because it's always harder than you think. It always takes longer. It always costs more money. Uh, and that's because you're doing something that's not been done before. Uh, and there's a reason, as you say, why it hasn't been on before, because it's hard. <laughs> is it hard, though, to once you've got it, is it hard, though, to sell it back into banking? Were you able to leverage your own connections? Were you able to, to use your own expertise to go, look, you guys really need this. Here's what we've got. Well, it's true, of course, that my my reputation in the industry and my networks in the industry were helpful. But you know, that alone is not enough to sell uh, a complex set of technologies like the one we offer, banks themselves really have to be ready. And what's interesting, having done this for eight years now, is that readiness is really increasing, in part because banks have realized that they cannot kick the can down the road for much longer. Um, some of these systems were written in the 70s and 80s. Uh, they're just getting very old and out of date. And in part because the costs of maintaining them are skyrocketing. And that takes away money for investment in competitive advantage and things that yeah, benefit the customer. So what we've seen is the demand for kind of profound change in bank technology globally is really increasing. Even today, we had a a reach out from a very large bank in Asia that is looking to replace, you know, their core systems. And it's happening almost every day now. So the opportunity has definitely arrived uh, at the time that we've spent all these years building the platform and the platform is really ready to go. How much of this change is actually being driven by, you know, banks themselves realizing that it has this aging technology and how much of it though is from customers, whether it's business customers for the ones listening to this show or even, you know, consumers as well, the consumer customers. I think it's a combination of factors. So as the consumer becomes more demanding, I mean, let's face it, we do everything on our phones now. We expect it to be instant. We expect it to be a beautiful user experience and we expect it always to work. And most of all, we expect it to be free. Um, and we're conditioned into those things through the way we live our lives. And that's just put a massive demand on the banking industry to be able to meet that standard. And of course, the newer startups, the fintechs out there have been able to do that from day one. So in part, there's a pull factor from customers, and it's the same on the business side. Uh, and in part, there's a push factor for the banks themselves because they're lumbered with these technology systems, which are so old and cumbersome and expensive to operate that they need to do something different. And it's the combination of those two things which creates the demand for our products and services. Are those old traditional banks, those major banks, are they worried about those startup fintech? companies like i could i could think of many you could probably think of them as well so we won't name them but those those uh those new challenger banks that have risen up in the last 10 years or so are those a concern to them or do they feel like we're just too big to be particularly worried about this uh i think they there was a time if you go back 
seven, eight years when there was a view in the mainstream industry that um, these startups were not going to create any problems for the banks. Um, I think that view has changed, not because necessarily a new fintech neobank is going to be the same size as a Barclays or an AtWest anytime, but because on the margin, they can start to take business away from the banks. And that's particularly true in areas like savings, where because we can now move our money instantly on our phones, the velocity of circulation of people moving their money around to get a better rate has increased massively. On the other side of the equation, now banks worry a lot about the big tech companies. Big tech companies are very good at uh, understanding our lives, understanding data, uh, delivering beautiful user experiences. And they can use all of those things to intermediate the financial system. Now, if you remember a few years back, people were talking about, will Apple become a bank or will Meta become a bank? And those firms have astutely decided that they don't need to be banks. Why would they? Why would they want the sort of capital and regulatory uh, requirements that go along with it? But what they can do is they can intermediate the financial system. They can sit between the customer and the bank and take a toll uh, along the way. And if you think about an Apple Pay or a Google Pay, that's exactly how it works, right? So they, they're essentially fronting the financial system, leaving the existing players with the hard work and the capital requirements and the regulatory requirements while they take a toll. That is quite... But that's almost brilliant, isn't it? They, they, can, yeah. they get they get the reward, but without any of the of the of the hassle and the problems involved in it. Exactly. And I, I do remember. I think wasn't Meta or Facebook as it was called. It was gonna. It was at one point. It was gonna set up its own cryptocurrency bank as well, yes. wasn't it? Yeah. So they they they've definitely been looking at the sector, and they've I, I, have they gone. Do you know what? It's too much trouble. Do you think? I think they've realised that there's plenty of sort of low hanging fruit out there so whether it's offering credit products <clears throat> that they basically wholesale on behalf of other banks or whether it's intermediating the transaction flows like we were saying before on um, payments um there's plenty of money to be made there because they're they're in the flow of all of those transactions but Andy, how is your company going because like i said you did put your own money into it to to kick things off at the start it's been around since 2016 i think it was it's still going are you doing well? Was it worth it? <laughs> no, we're doing we're doing very well. Um, and as I say, we're perfectly positioned for this huge opportunity that's coming. Um, you know, where our revenues are increasing, our you know we've we've made a big investment in building the technology over the years, which we can now start to monetize. You know, we're proud to support a number of banks around the world already. Uh, and we expect that number to increase very significantly. And you had a, a recent funding round where I believe you raised, or at least it's reported you raised around 50 million. Assuming those figures are correct or mostly correct, that must be a good confidence boost as you're heading into 2024. It's a great confidence booster. Um, we were able to secure the money from our existing shareholders. Uh, it's obviously not a great time to raise money out there. Um, certainly not like... 2022 and 2021 uh but we raised it we did it you know on on reasonable terms and that will give us the firepower to get you know substantially 
uh, into the sort of break-even territory in the next couple of years, which is what our goal is, frankly. Yeah. So how do you how what is that? What firepower does that give you? Where does that go? Where's that being invested? Yeah, basically, it's it's selectively investing in continuing to build out the platform uh, and add capability to the platform. One of the things that we've done is we've taken the core of the platform, which is the ledger, where it records the credits and debits for the customers, and we've massively increased the performance of that platform. So we've demonstrated that platform operating at 200,000 transactions per second. Um, now, a... A very large bank in this country might operate at between five and 10,000 at its peak. So we've built that out for the largest banks in the world, the sort of banks you find in some of the bigger Asian countries uh, in the United States and so on. Uh, and so we've, we're investing selectively in that. We're investing in you know, salespeople and client people. Um, but basically, we've got a, a standard set of technologies now which we can deploy multiple times. Uh, and this money will take us to the point where, you know, revenues exceed costs, which is always the goal of any business. <laughs> and when you started that business, I mean, we've talked about kind of the pace of change in bank and how that's moved really, really quickly in 10 years. When you started in 2016, is your company doing what you expected it to do in 2024 when you were sitting there on your first day on your first desk going, what have I done? Is this what you expected to be working on? Are these the areas you expected to be working in? I mean, the technology is definitely delivering yeah. uh, what I set out to do. And that's the number one job, because if you don't have that, you don't have a business. I think the pace at which the banking industry has moved was frankly slower than I expected. I should have known better having been in it for so long. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, banks are rightly cautious. They um, have long the long sales cycles in this business. There are lots of folks inside banks who are involved in this procurement departments and so on. So uh, I think that's probably taken longer uh, than I would have expected. Uh, but, you know, we sit here now at this very fortunate convergence of this incredibly functionally rich, high-performing technology we've built and the needs of the industry. And that's a great place to be. Would I like to have been there three years ago? Of course I would. Um, things like pandemics don't help. Um, but, you know, we are where we are. And I feel really positive about it, about it. It's been a great experience to do something from scratch, as opposed to my previous career, which was all about, you know, working in very large organizations and managing big complex businesses and incremental incrementalizing along the way has there ever been a moment at this time when you've gone i wish i knew that this is what it was like on the other side of this desk when i was at one of those banks so i was always i was always keen to have a, a legitimate second career as an entrepreneur i really wanted to do that um and 10x is the main thing i've done not the only thing i've done but I was also very cognizant that there were many things that are similar and many things that are different. When you're running any organization, whether it's a business or any other type of organization, you have certain things you have to deliver and you have certain resources to deliver those things. You need to put them together in the most effective way. And, and that's true whether you're running a 130,000 person organization or you know a 350 person organization. Of course, the transmission mechanisms are somewhat different in a much larger organization. 
And those are the similarities, but there are also lots of differences. Uh, you know, when you're in a, when you're running your own business, and I learned this you know, day one in my first career as a banker, never run out of cash. That's the that's the <laughs> uh, that's the killer. Everybody, when they start a business, they fixate on you know revenues, growth. Some people think about cost base, but actually, the the real lifeblood of any business is cash. And that was drummed into me back in the eighties when I began my banking career. And that, that stuck with me really well. Um, but at the end of the day, the success of any business depends on getting the right people in the right jobs, doing the right work. And that's uh, that stuck with me along the way. But it's really been a fantastic experience to do something very different uh, and to do it in a space which I know to, to leverage some of the skills I built. But I also am learning and still learning. And I'm very happy, you know, 40 odd years into my career that I still learn new things every day. That was Anthony Jenkins, CEO of 10X Future Technologies. For more interviews, news and features, check out standard.co.uk forward slash business or pick up the Evening Standard newspaper. How to be a CEO is back in two weeks. Hit follow to make sure you don't miss out. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.